Let's get to our word today. It comes from Nehemiah chapter 1. And so let's turn there and I'm going to read that for us right now. The word of God reads, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your ears open to hear the, to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that whether we're at home or whether we're at church, we can worship you. We thank you, God, that you are everywhere we thank you, God, for all the challenges of life. We thank you, Father, for all the difficulties that we see so that we might depend upon you and realize that there is only one life to live, and that's for you. Lord, we thank you for the book of Nehemiah as we start this new series together. Father, we ask that you would give us a heart, a heart and eyes and ears to hear what's upon your heart and upon your lips for us and for our lives and for our church. Father, we need you, especially during this time. There's so much conflict in the world. There's so much difficulty even in our country. Lord, we need you. So, Father, we pray, God, move us. Speak to us so that we might be yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're starting this new series in Nehemiah, which is the book right after Ezra. But in truth, even though we're starting a new book series, it's really not a new book at all. And the reason why is because Ezra and Nehemiah originally were one book and they were split into two books later on in history. So in essence, we don't even really need any background information as to what Nehemiah is all about because we studied Ezra for 10 chapters and we got all the background that we needed. Nehemiah is simply the story of Ezra continued. And so, but just in case you missed it, let me just kind of share with you the history of what's been going on. Um, all God ever wanted, all God ever wanted was a people that would love him with all that they had. Why? Because that's how God loves us. And so he chose the Israelites to be those people. But instead of loving God with all their hearts, making his worship the center of their lives, they chose to live for 
themselves. And so God exiled his people to Babylonia so that they could once again realize that the only life really worth living is a life that lives for the glory of God. And so after being there for many years and after learning that lesson, God finally decides to bring them back to Jerusalem by speaking to the king of Babylon. Uh, Zerubbabel led the first wave of Israelites back to Jerusalem, and he did so to rebuild the altar and the temple there. Years later, Ezra came in the second wave, and he came there to spiritually strengthen that new community with God's word. But the sad reality is that uh, even though the people were given this second chance, you know, liberated from slavery to live this new life for God, many chose not to make God their priority. And that's how Ezra ends. And with that, we now come to the beginning of Nehemiah. And the challenge that the Israelites face here in Nehemiah is that their walls and their city needs to be rebuilt. But in reality, the broken walls of that city and the city that needs rebuilding really is a spiritual representation of their hearts and their lives. More than the city and more than the walls, their lives needed renewal. You know, about eight years ago, I went on this mission trip to Mongolia. And if any of you have ever been to Mongolia, it is like one of the most beautiful countries you'll ever see. There's like this lush, mountainous region in the north. And I was actually overwhelmed by how green it was. So beautiful. The actual city of Ulaanbaatar, it's like, it was like a throwback for me. I visited Seoul, Korea in 1978, and it was like, um, it was old. You know, it, was, it wasn't modern whatsoever. And that's how the, the capital city was. But then even just an hour south of the city and the, for the rest of the country, it's all desert. And that desert is absolutely fascinating. It's not like the Sahara, but it's just a, it's absolutely, it's an absolute sight to see. There were so many aspects of that country that just left me in awe. But the greatest impression I think I received from being there for two weeks was from the lives of the missionaries that I got to work besides. You know, Mongolia is not an easy country to live in. Many places, most places don't have running water and or flushing toilets, paved roads, um, universal Medicare, forget about it, right? They have 40 degree summers, they have negative 40 degree winters. It's an absolutely tough place to live. So you kind of have to be a bit crazy to want to be a missionary there. Not only that, but to drag your family to become missionaries there. And every missionary that I encountered, they all have their stories. Everyone has tons of stories of how difficult it was acclimating themselves to Mongolia. But the moment that you ask them why they're there, all of a sudden their faces change. Their whole countenance like changes. They literally perk up and you realize that they're about to share something that's deep and unshakable, you know, that's driving them. And all they talk about is the profound need for these Mongolian people to know Jesus. And you can just tell when they share that there's nothing, that there's going to be nothing that's going to stop them, you know, from accomplishing that mission, no matter how difficult that mission is gets. And that's absolutely awesome. You know, I love meeting people who 
know what God has called them to, especially non-pastors and especially non-missionaries. You know, I personally get so much more excited whenever I meet non-pastors and non-missionaries who are sold out on their mission. Why? Because these people, the people like you, you're able to reach companies, workers, and whole sections of the population that full-time ministers like me could never reach. You know, I have this one friend in Chicago who serves as a consultant from one of the biggest consultant firms and a consulting firms. And the thing is, he knows that God has placed him there for so much more than a paycheck. You know, I remember when he first got that job, you know, he really prayed a lot for this job. And he really, his con- biggest conviction was that he wasn't being sent there to make a paycheck, but he was being sent there to reach that firm with the gospel. Currently, he's at one of the highest levels in his company, but even as an entry-level guy, he was inviting people over, sharing the gospel, creating or starting and creating Bible studies, discipling people in his firm. And if you talk to him, you'd almost never know that he was a consultant. He doesn't talk about his work, but he does talk about discipleship and the people that he worked with all the time. He'd even tell you that consulting was simply the gift or the doorway that God gave him so that he can reach his firm with the gospel. And it's absolutely empowering and exciting to talk to people like him. And I love it. You know, today we're starting this book of Nehemiah. We're starting to study this book of Nehemiah together. And it's such an amazing book, not only on the rebuilding of Jerusalem, but it's really, it's really once again, just like we said, the story of the renewal of the Jews. We ended Ezra on a down note, yes. But in the book of Nehemiah, things get turned around, kinda. You know, because if I'm very honest with you, Nehemiah kind of ends on a bad note as well. But the book of Nehemiah and the life of Nehemiah serves as a story that challenges us to live for God's mission in our lives. You know, at the beginning of the book, Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king. And basically what that means is that he tastes all of the food that's brought to the king, that's offered to the king before the king eats it, just in case it's poisoned. It's potentially a very dangerous job, but it's also one that's very highly prized. And what that really tells us is that Nehemiah became someone that the king totally trusts. And what we realized from the start is that Nehemiah must have been one amazing man to have reached such a prominent position in the king's service. But what I'm pretty sure Nehemiah didn't expect was the rest of this book, that he would leave, that he would choose to leave such a posh, cushy, comfortable, high position to the most powerful king in the world to become a brickie to people who didn't even care about God anymore. But through the faithfulness and faith of this one man, a nation was touched, transformed, and renewed. And people were won back to God. I believe the book of Nehemiah exists not only to show us what's on the heart of God for the lost especially, or even for his people, but to teach us what it takes to be a man or a woman of God to lead others, that leads others, who leads others in the renewal of of God's people. You know, all of us are called to take part in God's mission. There are people that God wants to reach through you. And so this book of Nehemiah shares with us exactly how to become that person that God will use 
to reach the lost. And the first chapter actually shares three characteristics that God wants to see in us so that we might become that person. And the first characteristic is a heart for his kingdom. Let's look at verses one to three. It says, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and in disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. So Nehemiah's brother, Hanani, comes back after spending some time in Jerusalem. And Nehemiah, so curious, asks, hey, what's going on over there? And then receives some really bad news. He hears that the walls of Jerusalem are broken down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Now, what's amazing to me is how Nehemiah chooses to take the news, his reaction. Verse 4 says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah took this news really hard. I'm like, really hard. But why is that? You know, why did he take this news so deeply? Why was this, Why did he take it so hard? Was it because he was a Jew? Was it because he had such fond memories of, his, you know, of the motherland, of his hometown, Jerusalem? And the answer to those questions is no. You know, Nehemiah has never been to Jerusalem. Nehemiah was born as a slave in Babylonia. He was born, uh, his father was a slave. He was a son of a slave, right? And so he never once stepped in the motherland. The only Jewish faith that he could have practiced was in like a makeshift, like a makeshift temple in Babylonia. Not anything like Jerusalem. The reason why Nehemiah reacted the way that he did was because he had a heart for God's kingdom. And therefore, one of his highest concerns was the work of God. He knew exactly why God had moved the heart of kings to send the Jewish people back to Jerusalem. He knew what God wanted, that God wanted to see a people once again centered upon the worship of God, loving God with all that they had. And he knew that's what God wanted. And so he was so curious as to how they were doing. And when he heard that the walls were broken down, and when he heard that everything, you know, destroyed by fire, all of a sudden, this deep and profound sorrow overwhelmed his heart. And the thing is, it wasn't just this one night of prayer and fasting. He actually wept, prayed, and fasted for over three months. Now, when I read that, to me, that's a heart for God's kingdom, isn't it? You know, having a heart for God's kingdom, it's not just something that happens overnight, right? It's something that has to be cultivated. To me, when I read this chapter, when I read the rest of the book, it's obvious that Nehemiah's heart was in God's word, right? We'll find that out in a, in a few moments. It was absolutely deeply embedded in the character of God. And that only happens when you spend a lot of time with God, Because it's obvious that when we get to this chapter, God's heart and Nehemiah's heart for his glory, for God's glory, was one in the same. Their hearts longed for the same thing. Their hearts dreamed of the same things. And their hearts were broken over the same things. And we need that as well. So I guess, you know, uh, it's time to, I guess, test our hearts. But where is your heart? I mean, does your heart break for the things of God? Does your heart break for the things, of, you know, for his glory and for his kingdom? You know, 
like today, like how is your heart moving for what's happening in the Ukraine? You know, how is your heart moving towards all those that have been displaced by all the floods up and down the east coast of Australia? Do you, does, do those things cause you to stop and pause and spend some time in deep sorrow and pray? Or do you kind of just retweet it? You know, add a Ukrainian flag to your icon or your avatar and then move on. What about your heart for persecuted Christians in the Middle East or the underground church in China? What about the lost around you that are going to hell right now? What about some of your CG members? Are you spending your life concerned with what's on God's heart? Are we too busy with our own lives to bother? If you want to be a person that God uses in the renewal of people in our generation, it begins with a heart for his kingdom. And that doesn't mean someone who's gung-ho about the organization of the church or, or the propagation of theology and knowledge. No, it doesn't. It means someone who's burdened with souls. You know, someone who's burdened with the advance of God's glory in those people and in those nations. But how does that happen? You know, especially if right now our heart maybe is nowhere near that. And I think that's where Psalm 37, 4 gives us the answer. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And when you read that verse, it's, it makes sense. Just delight yourself in God and he'll give you everything that you desire. And it's awesome. But what do you have to do first? You got to delight yourself in God. Or if I can say it another way, this is how I would say it. Spend time with God until he becomes your ultimate delight. And when God becomes your ultimate delight, then his desires will become yours. Our desires change to match his. And when you desire the things God does, that's when you'll always get what you want. I, sin I sincerely believe that Nehemiah was used so powerfully by God simply because he delighted himself in God. Therefore, he knew God's heart. His heart moved with God's and he was changed. My prayer is that when people talk about our people, the FLM people, that that's what they'll say. Wow, that those people in that ministry it's obvious to me that those are people who are burdened with God's heart. They care for the things that God really cares about. And they're willing to give themselves for what God cares about. Spend extended times with God. Pray, study his word, hear his voice, and cultivate a heart for the kingdom. Secondly, become a man or woman of prayer. Verse four to seven says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days. I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant, Moses. Now, I know the second point sounds a lot like the first. It is. 
But what I mean by the second point is this. Pray before we start taking any action. You know, when Nehemiah heard the news of the tragedies that are going on in Jerusalem, do you think that his first thought was, oh man, I better get over there and rebuild those walls? No. I don't think so at all. As a matter of fact, I think that's like the last thing he ever would have thought about. If anything, he would have thought something like, oh, don't worry. I'm sure God will raise someone over there who knows the people, who knows the terrain, you know, who knows the history, who, who experienced everything all, you know, who knows everything that's going on. I'm sure he'll raise someone over there that will do something about it. And to me, that would make perfect sense. But not only that, when he heard the news, I mean, he knew right away the extent of the trouble that these Jews were in. And it was way beyond anything that he was capable of handling. You know, testing food for poison, I can do. You know, rebuilding walls, no. I mean, he's never even touched a brick in his life. He knew that these Jews were in dire trouble. You know, you see, I I can't overstate how important walls were in times like that. Walls protected you from outsiders. You know, without walls or gates, you were left open to robbery, harassment, even death. But more importantly, what this news revealed is that the people's hearts were in dire trouble. They had given up. They had given in. No one even cared enough to rebuild the walls anymore and to complete the task that they were actually sent to do. And so Nehemiah could sense how immense this task really was. Walls, yes, walls needed to be physically rebuilt. But more importantly, hearts needed to be re-won, restored, and renewed back to God. And only God can do that. And so he prays. You know, I love people who take prayer seriously. And what I mean by that is I love people when confronted with the challenges and the crossroads and crossroads in their life, refuse to move until they hear God's voice on the issue. And so they dedicate their lives to pray and they wait day and night for God to reply. Because when that happens, a lot of times God shares his heart with us and that transforms us. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is a Psalm where there's this very holy man complaining to God. And he complains, you know, why is it that the wicked and the rich are always flourishing? Why are they experiencing great worldly blessings? But yet he's faithful and he's doing everything he can to be faithful and holy. But yet all he experiences is hardship, poverty, and challenges and disappointment. And so he complains as to how unfair that is to God. But then God decides to speak to him. And he allows this man to see and feel as God does. And then to him, it all makes sense. Even all of his hardship and poverty, he praises the Lord for it. But the greatest blessing in that psalm is that his heart gets aligned with God's. And whenever that happens to any one of us, you just can't help but to move in such a way that increases his glory in and through our lives. As a result, and that's exactly what happened to Nehemiah. Once again, I don't think Nehemiah had it in mind to be the guy to go over Jerusalem and to rebuild walls and to to rebuild the hearts of the Jews. But by spending time with God in prayer, God changed him and redirected him, right? God shared his heart with Nehemiah and God's desires became Nehemiah's 
desires. I love his prayer in verse six, where he says, God, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night, right? It makes sense that he asked God, hey, God, keep your ears attentive to my prayer. But isn't it interesting that he asked God to keep his eyes open to hear his prayer? What's he saying? What, is it, what, is it, what does he mean? And this is what he's saying when he says that to God. He's saying, God, you know, you know my heart. You see it, right? Look at my heart. It is absolutely yours and it is breaking for your people. What does that teach us? Prayer not only changes our hearts to be like God, but prayer changes us to become available to be used however God wishes for us to be used. And that's so essential. And that's so important. This is why we, and that's why we need to pray. It's not just so that our hearts can be changed, but so that we can make ourselves available to God so that he can use us to do as he wishes. If you think about it, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ never really becomes the gospel of Jesus Christ until Jesus Christ gives himself and makes himself fully available to die on the cross for our sins. I mean, can you imagine? The gospel wouldn't be the gospel if Jesus only shared God's heart for us. If Jesus only felt bad for us, what if Jesus like saw us and saw the sins that we were in, condemned to hell, and you know, he felt bad and just retweeted it? Do you think he would become the gospel? No. The only reason why the gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel of Jesus Christ is because he made himself fully available to the Father to be used to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. That's when he became the gospel and our salvation. If we are going to be men and women who are used to bring God's renewal and revival into the hearts of our generation, then we must be men and women who are available to God to be used however he wishes. And that only comes when we're transformed through prayer. I hope one day each one of us can pray like that, a prayer commanding God to look at our hearts and how it breaks for his glory and for his people and for his will and for the renewal of our generation. A prayer that begs God to use you for his glory. Let's be men and women of prayer. Lastly, we need to be men and women of the word. Verse 8 says, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses. Now, what Nehemiah talks about in verses 8 to 11 are these carefully constructed summaries of many warnings and promises that God gave them in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, 1 Kings, 2 Chronicles, and the Psalms. And to make a long story short, uh, what Nehemiah is doing is that he's praying the promise that God made earlier in the word. He's basically saying, God, you promised that you would restore Jerusalem and its people, but you haven't done that yet. So will you please do it because you said you would? And what does it teach us? It teaches us that if we want to be people who are used powerfully in the renewal of our generation for Christ, we need to know who God is, what he values, how he operates, what he promises, and what pleases him. And in order to learn all of those things, uh, God gave us his word so that we can study it and know him inside and out. So can I please ask you 
to spend time studying God's word every single day. And the main reason why is so that you can hang out with God and know him. But the practical reason why is so that you won't be misled in your life, but that you will always be guided by truth in your life. One of my favorite Psalms, you know, verses is Psalm 119, 105. It says, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light on my path. And Psalm 19 is basically saying that we're walking aimlessly in darkness unless we are guided by his word. So be guided by it so that we can always walk aligned with God. I can't tell you how many times in my life that I've been corrected and rebuked by the word, thinking I was going in the right direction because I was going in my direction. But all of a sudden you read the truth and you realize, man, I'm not aligned to that. So let's be men and women who are guided by and aligned with his word and his truth. So those are the three characteristics that God wants to see developed and practiced in our lives so that we can be used to bring renewal and revival to our generation for Christ, a heart for the kingdom, a lifestyle of prayer, and studying the word. You know, each and every single one of us are called to minister. We've been talking about that for the past few months. You know, we're not talking, you know, full-time pastoral ministry like me, but a personal ministry that's involved with the renewal of souls. God saved us to impact our generation powerfully for his glory. And in Christ, we've been given every spiritual blessing to reach our generation for him. My prayer is that as we study this book together, just like Nehemiah, I hope you use your life to be used by God in the exact same way. Let's pray. Why don't we just spend a minute and let's just ask God to speak to us about our lives. Is your life involved with God's mission or do you only think about yourselves? And if that's the case, then that's the reason why God sent his people into exile in Babylonia in the first place. You know? I hope that as we begin Nehemiah together, that your desire would be to finally live for his glory alone. To see your life as a calling to win people for Christ until you die. And so can we just spend a minute asking God to put our hearts uh, going in that direction? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. We thank you, Father, for the journey that you're taking us on through Ezra and Nehemiah. And Father, we pray, help church never just to be this place that we go to on Sunday to hear some good stuff. But Lord, we pray, may it always be a place where we're reminded 
of who you have called us and saved us to be. Lord, I pray for our people that they would always be involved in your eternal work, your eternal mission. Lord, that their dream and their passion would be just like Nehemiah, who wasn't a full-time minister, but who was constantly driven by and burdened by your heart for your people. Lord, we pray that you would make and transform each one of us to have that same kind of heart for you and for your glory. Use us powerfully to do that. Lord, we pray for the people in the Ukraine. We pray, God, that you'll bring an end to that war very, very quickly. Father, we pray that you will just uh, dethrone all the evil powers that's working, God, to create this war and to sustain this war. And Father, we pray that you'll bring your eternal peace, Father, not only to that place, but into many places around the world. Father, we our hearts go out for all the people who are caught in the floods, you know, all up and down the East Coast here. Lord, we pray that you'll bring relief. Father, use us to bring relief as well, God, to our fellow countrymen. And Lord, give us your heart for them. But Lord, give us your heart for the lost around us. Speak to us, Father, about the mission that you have for each one of us around us. And use us powerfully for your glory and for your mission. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me end our worship with the benediction. Father, we give ourselves to you. And Lord, we want you to be glorified. We just don't want to be good Christian people. Father, we want to be sons and daughters that are used powerfully to bring you glory. So God, do a powerful work in us that we would never be satisfied with just living a nice Christian life. But Father, that we would always just want to live an eternal one that reaches souls for your glory. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord turn his face upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord radiate his countenance over you and give you peace. Amen.